Well, the Bible reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 1, and it's verses 1 through to 14. If you've got a blue church Bible, you can find that reading on page 953, or else it is also in the handouts that you received as you came in the door. Colossians 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of all your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven, about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you very much, Kez, and uh, as I said, a a real pleasure to be able to share with you over these next two weeks, two out of three weeks, when uh, uh, we'll be looking, uh, especially over these three weeks, on uh, living to please God, walking in Him, I think is the the theme of our time together. And so I want to uh, begin this morning in Colossians 1, but I want, given that Paul prays throughout this particular part of his word, I want to do likewise as we commence. Gracious Father, we... We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We now look to him. Uh, We ask that uh, through him we might learn to love one another, to uh, remember the hope that you've given us, to speak of it to others, and, Father, to live with joy and thankfulness in our hearts. Uh, For your son's sake we pray. Amen. Uh, well, it is a bit of a concern that the uh, outline is blank, living to please God. It looks like there's nothing to do. Uh, I've got three headings if you're a person who likes to take notes. Uh, they go like this. Um, receiving God's will, verses 1 to 2. Uh, knowing God's work, verses 3 to 8. And living God's way, verses 9 to 14. Receiving God's will, knowing God's work, and living God's 
way if you're a note taker. And the paragraphs in your Bible um, pretty helpfully actually uh, both pull this passage apart and my task this morning is to in some ways bring that back together. Uh, I want to ask this question, what do your prayers say about your walk with God? What do your prayers say about your walk with God? My first reaction was probably not enough. That is, I have times in my life when my prayers probably are less than they should be, that the expectations that the Bible speaks about in a a rich life of prayer are often not there. Uh, We know Jesus' words in Matthew 6 where he talked about when you pray, go into your room and do it on your own. And often I think, yeah, thank goodness, because if other people could hear my prayers, they'd be a little bit suspicious about how my walk with God is going. At other times, you feel the richness of a prayer life, of engaging with God, of hearing the blessings of his word and responding in trust and faith. We, uh, we know what it's like when our prayer life is in good shape. Generally, a whole lot of other things in our Christian life are in good health as well. You probably know what it's like to have a struggle in your life and not be surrounded by prayer. How lonely that can be. What does your prayer say? about your walk with God. Bible teacher Tim Keller has written a book on prayer. Uh, The subtext is experiencing awe and intimacy with God. Uh, Do your prayers feel like that? This morning's passage is about the gospel. It's about the gospel that has come to us uh, to give us eternal hope so we might live lives pleasing to God. The gospel that has come to us to give us eternal hope so that we might live lives pleasing to God. And as I mentioned before, there are three ways in which we can understand what it means to live to please God, to to receive his will, to know his work and to live God's way. I want my prayers to be pleasing to God. I find it helpful that the Bible is not silent about prayer. That Jesus himself, in the most poignant moment of his ministry, felt the tension of God's will wrestling with what was going on inside his heart. Paul this morning celebrates in prayer. He actually recognises what's going on in the lives of God's people and he wants to encourage them with his prayers. And he begins by saying, if you want to live a life that's pleasing to God, then have a look at this church. The greeting in verses 1 to 2 does concern receiving God's will. Nobody writes letters anymore. And if you do get written a letter, it gets sent via email. Nobody writes personal letters anymore. Uh, Annie got sent a letter the other day which was addressed to dear name. (laughs) I mean... It's, it was correct, and he had a name, but it didn't seem very personal. Facebook and Twitter have meant that writing letters is a bit of a bygone thing, and then Australia Post has confirmed it by asking you to pay more for a less reliable service. Nobody writes letters anymore. So it's a strange thing that Christians turn up week by week to read a letter. At least that's what we're doing this morning. We come together to read a letter 
that's been written to a church, the church in Colossae, but because it was written to them, was also written for us. And we know that from the nature of God's word, that though it is written to a particular group of people, because of Jesus Christ's lordship over our life and his spirit, this word is written for us. Although even in this word that we have this morning, you can tell it's a word for the whole world. It has a future taste about it, doesn't it? You can't always find that in the scriptures. But this one, we see the gospels bearing fruit all over the world, verse 6. So clearly it's a, it's a word for us as much as anyone else in the way that it's written. It's written by Paul while he's in jail. Remember my chains, he says at the end of the letter. I don't know whether you've ever received a letter from someone in jail. I imagine that'd be a fairly poignant moment. But that's not actually what we're meant to notice. Where Paul is isn't as important as who Paul is. Verse 1. You'll see he's an apostle. He has the authority of God. He is an apostle, verse 1, by the will of God. He's with Timothy, but he is the apostle by the will of God. He describes himself later in this chapter as a servant of God. Paul has both the authority of God and yet he's a servant of God. Who does that sound like to you? Have you ever received a speeding fine in the mail? Others have told me what that's like. It always worries me when a letter turns up with the state government of the South Australia emblem on the front. I'm always nervous. I shouldn't be. But if you've ever received a speeding fine then when you open that letter, you recognise that the authority of the government has come down upon you. You've broken the law, they likely have got a photo, and then there'll be a penalty, and that's the ouch moment. Paul writes with an apostolic authority. We don't want to dismiss that. It is an authority, according to the Bible, far greater than the one that the state government has over us. And yet he's a servant. This author is set apart to write... God's inspired words, but he writes as a servant. He, he speaks God's will through his words, and yet he has a desire to serve God's people as he does so. In fact, as he speaks about his commissioning, he writes to those whose penalty has already been paid. The holy, the faithful, the brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossians. His words serve the gospel. And the blessing for us is that every time we open the word of God, we're being served by the word of God. Paul says, I do two things. He says, I present the gospel in order to present God's people perfect in Christ. He says that at the end of the chapter in verses 25 and 28. I present the gospel in order to present God's people perfect in Christ. So for us, in order to live to please God, we must receive God's will, the word of God, and know what it's doing in our lives. As we hear the gospel, we are being made and perfected in Christ. We're heading towards a goal. And so when we open our letter, when we come like this, when we meet in our home groups, or even when the morning when you wake up and you think it is time for me, to encounter God and his word, you're being served by the gospel. 
And we need to recognize God is bringing about a change through that. I've been meeting with a fellow over these last few weeks. We've been reading through Mark's gospel. He's an inquirer. There are some unusual stories if you've not read them before in Mark's gospel. And one week he turned up and I said, how did you go reading Mark 3? He said to me, it's just words. It's more than just words, isn't it? The gospel needs to break through our lives and by God's spirit, bring home the truth of God's will for our lives. And that's my prayer for him. But if we open it and it's just words, then we have not realized what God is doing. He is revealing his will to us. And it is the first step in understanding how to live to please him. I recently read a book on guidance uh, written by an author called Kevin DeYoung. The title of the book is Just Do Something. Uh, He speaks about some of the frustrations that uh, he finds with Christians who are waiting around for God to direct their lives and looking for detail that the Bible doesn't have. And in chapter 1, he opens with this word. He says, it is God's will that you read this book. Well, it's God's will that you read this book. And that's what he says by the end of his book. It is God's will you read this book. In it, you discover what it means to please him. In it, you will know God's work in the lives of his people. Point two, you'll see Paul's prayer of thanksgiving at verses three to eight. Paul thanks God, verse four, because of the Colossians, and we're talking the group here, their faith in Christ. We might call this an upward work. In him all things hold together, verse 17. So we look to him. He is the head of the church, the body of Christ, verse 18. Of course we turn to him. And alongside that, Paul thanks God for the love for all the saints. And so if we have an upward work, we have an outward work. I received a phone call from... A father during the week whose daughter had attended one of our services over the Easter weekend. It was a Good Friday service. There were many, many people there. He said to me he didn't know whether he should call or not, but decided he'd do so. He said she'd moved into state, just got into Adelaide and was looking for a church. Ours was the first she came to, Good Friday, came in, sat down on her own. Someone came and sat next to her, said nothing to her. Another couple sat on the other side. They said nothing. At the end of the service, the couple on that side talked over her to the person on the other side. He said to me, she's never felt so awkward in such a long time. She couldn't wait to get out of the place. In the yard, no one spoke to her. She left. Now, what do you think her view is on this Love of the saints. We need to keep working on loving one another, don't we? But the key is it's not your effort. The key in this passage is in verse 5. It's your hope. That if you know this is stored up for you in heaven, then why would you not speak to someone who sits next to you about what it is that is within you? And it's kept for you. 
If you can look upward and outward, why would you not look forward? Look forward to sharing the eternal hope you've received with someone maybe you don't even know whether they've received it at all. That's why you'd want to share your love with all the saints. That's why you'd want to talk to a guest and not across them. We talk to everyone who comes to church. Because before we take a breath and think it's just about sharing with the saints, Paul introduces us to a bloke called Epaphras, verse 7. He not only has looked upward and outward and forward, he's looked beyond. He's gone halfway around the world to bring the gospel, or at least halfway around the world in those days, to bring the gospel to this church. It's bearing fruit all over the world, verse 6, and Epaphras is a servant of it like Paul. And because he was looking beyond with his upward, outward, forward hope, the gospel has been brought to these people. And God thanks, Paul thanks God for Epaphras, this faithful servant and fruitful servant. He's told us of your love in the spirit, verse 8. It's no ordinary love, is it? I want to say to you this morning, unleash the Epaphras within. Keep looking upward, outward, forward, beyond. Unleash the Epaphras. If you've been given this hope, then it is yours. It is fixed. The Apostle Peter would say, it is unfading. It is kept in heaven for you. It will be the joy of your salvation. And it is yours to inherit, but it's also yours to share. Let your conversation always be full of grace, Paul will say in chapter 4. We don't even get there in this series. But what he's saying in the next verse is very telling. So you may know how to answer everyone. You won't know whether that person has an eternal hope. But if they do, you'll want to share with them in it. And if they don't, it's even more vital that you speak to them. Unleash the Epaphras within. Paul thanks God for the way in which the gospel has come to give us eternal hope so that we might live lives pleasing to God. Receiving God's will, knowing God's work, And in verses 9 to 14, this is the platform for living God's way. He says, verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Uh, I need to make a confession. I haven't read Tim Keller's book on prayer. I find it hard enough to be persistent in my prayers, let alone to read books about prayer. And generally, like reading verse 9, I just tend to feel guilty that I haven't put enough effort and energy into prayer, let alone to read a book about it. So when I read Paul saying, we've not stopped praying for you, I I feel a little guilty because I sometimes wonder how many people I've stopped praying for that I shouldn't have. Maybe they'd be missionaries. Maybe they'd be people serving elsewhere. Maybe they'd be people that I've known a long time ago and, and, and the flames just faded when it shouldn't have. Well, if that's your situation, guilt is the wrong response. 
because we have a gospel of forgiveness, which is a reminder in the last verse of this section, verse 14. Guilt is just an obstacle to growth. And Paul is inviting us to to be enriched by his prayers so that we might be enriched in our prayers. And he uses prayer here as the means by which we access blessing from God. He celebrates what God has been doing in the life of his people, verses 3 to 8. And now he says, continue on enjoying the blessing. Know what it is to be God's people, to share together, to pray together, to rejoice together, to see God's work having its way in your life, to live to please him. And you'll note his prayer in verse 10, well, halfway through verse 9, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So here is your purpose statement, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. If you're looking for a mission statement for a church, that's not a bad one. You could do well if you adopted that and ran with that, or I should say, according to this verse, walked with that. Filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because we know that intellect often puffs up. But Paul asks for knowledge that builds up. As this letter is read out to the believers in this church, most likely in the first instance by a a chap named Philemon. Paul prays that their growth might bring maturity. That's the idea behind being presented perfect in Christ. Same word, same idea. We're heading somewhere as his people. And wisdom is the spiritual gift that enables us to live lives pleasing to God. It's God's word settling within us and then being settled within us. If you're a New Testament believer in what we think is probably a home listening to Philemon, then you'd be thinking your scriptures. That is the Old Testament. The promises to Abraham, through to David. The way God has brought about their fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the wisdom of God. It makes us wise for salvation. And verse 10 literally says, this enables us to walk worthy of the Lord. I don't know what your prayer life is like. My prayers are often made on the run. And at the very least, and this isn't really the meaning of the passage, but to be told to walk worthy of the Lord is just a reminder maybe that it's time to slow down. God wants to teach us to live humbly and dependently in the world as he intends. And later in this chapter, he speaks of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that is Christ himself. He is God's wisdom. When I check my diary, it's easy to see what I've filled my week with. I even have colour coding. I wonder sometimes whether it would be as easy to identify of the things I fill my week with, those times when I've filled myself with the wisdom and knowledge of God and this spiritual understanding. Because there's a difference between being busy for the kingdom and being effective for the kingdom. There's a difference between living a life on the run and walking 
worthy before the Lord. And Paul takes time in this letter, and we won't get there over these three weeks, to explain to people what that life looks like, putting off the old, putting on the new, being seated with Christ in the heavenly places, the fruit of the Spirit, the things you flee from. Paul is saying this is what the worthy life looks like. But here now, he says, you want to anchor yourself in wisdom, then you must remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. You know what he's doing? He is bearing fruit in your life. He is enabling you to do good works in his name, verse 10. You're being strengthened with the power according to his glorious might, verse 11. You're giving joyful thanks to the Father, verse 12. This is the evidence of a life lived worthy of the Lord. We recognize that it is God's work in our lives, not just our own effort. Paul has come full circle. You might have noticed that we finish up giving thanks to the Father. Verse 12, that's how he began his prayer. In many ways, Paul says an effective life worthy of the Lord is one that is bookended by prayer. That's the point he's making. It's one that recognizes the work that God has already done in your life. Verse 12, he's given you an inheritance. Verse 13, he's rescued you. Verse 14, your sins have been forgiven. You've been redeemed. The penalty has been paid. What are you thankful for? The gospel has come to us so that we might live lives pleasing to God. What do your prayers say about your walk with God? I think at the very least I've thought my prayers need to begin with thanks. They need to do that much. I need to finish with thanks. They need to do that much as well. And then in between, I think if I can be, if there can be something upward, something outward, something forward, and something beyond, then I can be confident my prayers are pleasing to God. And at least in my prayer life, that will be the platform for my living up life pleasing to him. I think when it comes to the Christian life, we often think about our eternal hope in three ways. That is, we're saved by works and we live by works, which is a path of self-approval. Or we're saved by grace and we live by works, which means we live for others' approval. Or we're saved by grace and we live by grace and we trust that mix with God's approval. But I think this letter has taught us a fourth way. Saved by grace, live by grace and remember you'll be delivered by grace. This is God's plan for us so that we might live God's way. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for one another. We thank you for our eternal hope. We thank you for opportunities for those who do not yet know you 
and pray that our conversations will indeed be those of grace. And Father, we thank you that we have received an inheritance that cannot fade, cannot be spoilt, is imperishable. And that by your Son you have equipped and enabled us through your Spirit to live your way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.